Welcome to the Living in Alignment podcast. My name is Amy Landry. Through a collage of conversations, here we distill mindful living and timeless wisdom within a modern, everyday context. Thank you for being here. Clancy Allen is a birth mentor and birth keeper, wise woman and mother to a spirited four-year-old boy. Clancy honors the continuum of the childbearing phases from preconception to pregnancy, birth, and motherhood as potent opportunities for personal growth and transformation. After transitioning away from a career as a lawyer to study yoga and kinesiology, it was pregnancy that catalyzed Clancy's interest in birth. Her passion is to support women during the childbearing continuum, which was born with her son. She went on to study as a sacred birth doula with Anna Watts, Birthing from Within, and the Radical Birth Keeper School. Clancy holds space for women to recover their inner authority and voice, to remember their innate birthing wisdom and power, and to experience birth as a joyous initiation to mothering. Clancy offers birth mentoring and birth keeping, postnatal mother support, Mothering the Mother Ceremonies, and her online course, Yoga for Empowered Birth. Clancy believes that peaceful, primal, biological, loving birth is the revolution our world needs now. So welcome, Clancy. Thank you so much for being here today, my friend. It's really good to see you. Thank you for having me. It's, yeah, such a pleasure. Can't wait. I would love to dive in, as we always do, with hearing a little bit about your background. I would love you to share your story um, and any relevant dots that need to be connected just to share with us how you landed here doing this work work specifically. Mm, Yeah, so I guess my background, my career prior to arriving in the birth space was very different to to birth work I used to be a lawyer and it's such a masculine profession with so much emphasis on the intellect and just so very different to the world I'm in now with birth so I found that really unsatisfying for my soul after being in those corporate handcuffs I suppose for about five or six years and I found yoga was the thing that really supported me to find peace within myself and to be able to actually stay in that career and in that the headiness of that career um, while I was I guess sort of hatching a bit of a, a plan to escape so yoga was my anchor I suppose during during the final years of that career and I found yoga when I was about 28 so sort of going into that Saturn return phase of life and yeah there were lots of internal shifts happening for me and lots of realizations happening within myself about the types of ways that I had um, um, put uh, academic achievement and intellectual achievement on a pedestal and as some sort of barometer of my worthiness 
and all that was starting to unravel and um yeah so yoga was just such a beautiful support for me as I slowly stepped away and made that transition from that career and I studied yoga teacher trainings and I'd also had a lot of personal breakthrough and uh, revelations with kinesiology. So I was studying kinesiology and that same year that I was studying kinesiology, I fell pregnant with my son, Louis, and that was a bit of a surprise. It sort of happened in, you know, the first time after my partner and I had had a conversation about calling in a baby and then we conceived straight away so yeah the pregnancy was a really nice year for me I loved being pregnant I was studying something I was really passionate about that was the kinesiology and um, I wasn't really working I was doing a little bit of work here and there so it was a time of really sinking into my body and just in awe of pregnancy and the magic that was unfolding within me. And I was just discovering how fascinated I was about birth during that pregnancy as well. And I had this inkling during the pregnancy that birth might be something that I would be interested in working in in some space and I guess yeah it was definitely in the realm of like the role of a doula that was sort of kept popping up during the pregnancy but I also thought it probably is just a phase because I'm pregnant and because I'm about to birth that I am really interested in this and fascinated by it so I'll just wait till I've had my baby and and see and then after he was born nine months later I was still reading birth books and still very much um, just yeah just enthralled with the magic of birth and women's bodies and the mystery of it and was feeling really called to to study and to do a doula training so yeah, he was, how old was he? I think he was about 14 months old when I took my first birth doula training. So that was sort of how that shift and that transition happened and how I, yeah, came to be in the birth world. And do you feel that uh, either your birth experience, having Louis and or the postnatal period was also a really strong catalyst for you to feel really passionate and resonate with this work? I'm not sure. I feel like no matter how my birth went, I would have still been where I am today and I still would have gone down this path because my birth with Louis was very disempowering and didn't go according to my plan, I suppose. So I think sometimes people think, oh, you know, because of that, you know, now you're in birth to try and make a difference. And I think, yeah, if the opposite had happened and I'd had this amazing positive experience, I still would have been called to step into 
the birth space. Uh, but I think, I think in my own life, I embody this sort of wounded healer archetype a lot. And so there has been a lot of self-reflection post his birth and a lot of unraveling and dissecting what did unfold. And just in a nutshell, without going into the details, um, it was a planned home birth, but still within the system. So um, in a publicly funded home birth service up in the Northern Territory. And I ended up um, with a forceps delivery in theatre and having a spinal block just before that after about a 24-hour birth process that was otherwise, you know, without or very minimal intervention. Um, so it was very disempowering and I know that I could have birthed him without that intervention but at that time and the paradigm that I was in and where I was at personally in relationship to birth uh, I still wasn't taking a hundred percent responsibility for my experience I still had unconscious beliefs that uh, birthing in captivity um, or in a setting where some of the responsibility was being held by midwives, you know, in that home, home birth um, setting that's still attached to the system was safer for me than, you know, free birth. And free birth was in my awareness then, um, but I was... Yeah, I guess, you know, I was just where I was at then and now my choice would not be to birth within the system and, and I include within that even um, home birth that is attached to um, a public hospital system setting because in a way that's still, um, yeah, hospital birth at home still subject to all the same policies and things and yeah but I have a lot of compassion for myself with where I was at at that time and you know I was also still under I guess a bit of a, a spell or an illusion that the experts knew more about my body and birth than I did and that's just where I was at at that time so um, and that's okay. I've, I've learned a lot about myself in, um, yeah, in what happened to me, even though it, it was extremely um, disempowering. And then that did have a big flow on effect into my postpartum. And, and that was really tricky for the first year, I would say, um, just because of the trauma um, that I was unraveling and and looking at and yeah and I think Clancy from obviously we've had lots of previous chats um but for the listener for the sake of clarity um and please feel free to correct me if I'm wrong on this but my understanding from your birth experience is that you actually didn't need to go to hospital there was nothing wrong with how you were progressing at home but it was more just um the system itself that you had to be transferred because there was no one there available at that time to support you and do what needed to be done um Exactly. And, you know, even your views that you've just shared would no doubt to many people seem quite um, rebellious and 
even polarizing potentially, which is what I love about you and your work. And um, you mentioned part of your journey as well in inspiring the work that you do you know, you read a few books and stuff on the way. Can you look back and think that there was, you know, maybe one or two books that really um, stood out for you that could be potentially useful to anyone listening as well that's going through this process for themselves? Yes. So one of my all-time favourite books during my own preparation and pregnancy was Birth with Confidence by Rhea Dempsey. And I always recommend that to women, especially women who are planning to birth within uh, the setting of, you know, hospital birth centre or even um, home birth that's attached to one of those entities because she talks about needing to be savvy within and make savvy choices within that um, system to get the birth you want and the reality is that within the system, I think I read it recently, only 5% of women are having a birth that is entirely free of intervention. Um, so that like 95% of women are going to have some form of intervention when they're going into that setting. And that's quite a sobering statistic, but, um, you know, whether that's, you know, an extreme intervention like a failed induction with the cascade of interventions that leads to the cesarean section or whether it's, you know, augmentation of birth by rupturing membranes or cervidil or um, just the third stage of birth, which is birthing the placenta. And by default, every woman, unless she is objecting and probably quite strongly, is going to get a jab of syntocin, which is synthetic oxytocin to birth her placenta. And that stage is going to be managed. And a lot of women aren't even aware of that as they're stepping into the system. So that is a, you know, a massive intervention that most women are going to um, confront in that setting. So yeah, 5% of women are having a spontaneous birth without intervention. So um it's overwhelmingly likely that that will happen in that setting in some way um that's it's quite scary and such a intense reality check and it just goes to show that um we as women have a tendency well and I suppose men as well parents both parents have a tendency to put decisions and the control and the faith and everything in the hands of the care provider um and that in itself is where we i'm mindful of my language but where we kind of first go wrong you know and as you mentioned with your own personal experience those subconscious um, beliefs or conditions etc that can influence us in that intense moment of labor and giving birth um you know if we don't tend to those and question our own conditioning and paradigm around giving birth then we're no no doubt going to default into making certain decisions or perhaps I should say not making decisions at all and letting somebody else make them on behalf of us and yeah you know as with what I said before you know this can be seemingly for many people quite quite a rebellious way of thinking Um, and it's obviously not meant to offend anybody uh, or deny anyone's qualifications or you know intentions in general 
but I think it's such an important conversation to start having to, yeah, to change the, the paradigm around the way that women can have the birthing experience. And so for anyone listening, I don't want to make any assumptions here. So you mentioned free birthing. Can we just, would you mind sharing a little bit of um, just clarification around what that looks like and perhaps maybe even some misconceptions that you might find that arise with that? Yeah, I guess it's a bit of a, maybe it's a buzzword at the moment or has become more so particularly because of COVID and, you know, this new place we find ourselves in where there's been even more restrictions on women birthing and the support that they can have been removed. So I think uh, this alternative option that in the past has been seen as reckless and dangerous and rebellious and crazy has um, just become a bit more of like a potential option that women are exploring now because of these other restrictions that have come about with COVID. Um, but, yeah, free birth, I mean, I don't want to sort of have a strict definition of it, but I guess the way I see it is it's birth at home uh, unassisted by a medical care provider so it's really just birth like normal birth before birth has suddenly become a medical event and before birth being a medical event has been normalized even though you know birth in that system as a medical event is not normal is really not normal so yeah it's just birth you could also call it family birth so yeah, families just and women just choosing to stay home and birth in their own environment, in their power as the authority over their experience and their body and um, I guess unassisted in the sense that they don't have a midwife there or anyone, you know, trained specifically in medical aspects of birth they might you know have family members around I guess they might have um, some women might choose to have a, like a traditional authentic midwife or birth keeper who is there more for the emotional support and I guess that's my role in my work now um, but yeah it's really just birth like in its <laughs> purest form mm. stripped back from yeah what birth is now overwhelmingly which is we it's a medical event and that's you know we're all sort of programmed and socialized to believe that birth is unsafe and so so many of us and even myself hold that narrative within ourselves it's often imprinted in us from our own birth experience because a lot of us were, were birthed in hospitals and potentially with interventions or with um, drugs. And I don't say that in a way to shame women who have chosen epidurals or, um, you know, I think in so many ways, having an, an epidural or other types of pain relief in that setting is how it has to be because you're in a setting that is so 
antithetical to what birth needs to unfold. You're in a setting where there is, there can be bright lights, there are strangers, there is uh, technology and surveillance, you're being observed, you're being monitored, you've left your home, there's, you know, there's, there's no not privacy. Not allowed to eat. Like you're potentially strapped up to, to monitors, your movement is restricted. The noise, yeah. All this stuff is, you know, so far removed from what birth requires and what the hormonal matrix of birth needs to unfold in its optimal, normal state that, of course, women with all that um, disrupting the flow of hormones may require epidurals or something to support themselves because the hormonal matrix has been disturbed and hijacked and it's going to be more intense when that's happening. Um, so, yeah, no shame in that. But, um, yeah, I guess getting back to the imprint thing, you know, we've a lot of us have the imprint in our own system and our own cells that birth or life is inherently unsafe and dangerous because we may have been pulled out by forceps ourselves, which I was as a baby. So it was interesting that then I recreated that in my own birth experience with my son. Um, so I, yeah, I know there's, there's no doubts that the reason that that manifested and that that, that happened in part many other reasons and multifactorial reasons going into it, but would have been my own unhealed birth trauma from my own birth at play as well um, with all the other things. So, yeah, there's, um, yeah, we are just set up to fail in so many ways. So there is so much um, unlearning and, remembering and coming back to the simplicity of birth and the safety of birth actually when it's left alone but that it that takes a lot of undoing of all the other stuff that we've been um, told and really a lifetime of rules and agreements that we've made about um, not just birth but about as women, like what we need to do to be accepted and get approval and to be loved and all that stuff can come up in birth because there is a power dynamic inherent in that system with those experts as authority figures, as women, when we're in a fight or flight response, which is more likely to happen in birth because we're in our mammalian um, more primitive brain structures, which is by design and part of the evolutionary regression. But because of that, we can be more inclined to fawn in our stress response or tend and befriend. So be really agreeable to things that have been posed by experts. Even if we'd gone in there with this intention to, you know, say no or advocate for ourselves or we have this plan or these preferences that we want things natural and we don't want this intervention and that intervention. And it's really easy for all that to just go out the window and to um, fall victim, I suppose, to 
yeah, the power structure to our conditioning to all these factors that can come into play and really derail our births and um, leave us feeling disappointed. And I think there's so much trauma, sadly, so much birth trauma um, because of all this stuff. And, and the system is really designed to perpetuate um, well, to make women sort of lifelong consumers, like, it, you know, it's, it's a system that's based on separation and um, it's not set up to support physiological birth. Um, yeah. Speaking to the system and the flaws in the system, I think it's worth lightly touching on the fact, or at least, you know, we can speak to Australia at the very least, it's from a financial standpoint, you know, free, free home births and, and midwifery care um, is very rare. And, you know, so it's kind of like if people don't have the private health insurance to go through the private system, which is flawed in itself, and I know plenty of people that have had magnificent experiences and I know that they're people that were incredibly informed and empowered and, you know, and I think that that's really reflective of um yeah, the work that they've done with themselves. But it's it's just easy to go through the hospital system because it's cheap or free and that's just what you do. And I know that I personally couldn't have afforded to or wouldn't have paid um, at that time to go through a private midwife. And so it's, it's, it's creating these situations where we almost seemingly, seemingly don't have choice. And, of course, we do, um, but particularly when you're talking about you know your first child there is that vulnerability and and those sort of natural concerns particularly with our partner and so we almost it's almost a default to go with what's free and accessible and easy and you know we know we'll be you know air quotes safe uh, through the medical system and as you know Clancy but for those listening I did have a home birth and I know for sure that if I was at hospital, given the somewhat complication that I had with a posterior baby and he kind of got stuck in the cervix and whatnot, the skills of the midwives totally turned that around, quite literally, um, pun not intended. But, um, you know, and if I was in hospital, for sure I would have been told, right, cesarean, you've got no choice. And I do think that I probably in my depleted state, like I was so exhausted from laboring posterior birth for hours and hours and the pain and um, because of that particular situation, I think I would have gone okay and I, and I would have probably succumbed and done it. And because I was at home under the care of midwives who knew what to do and who were willing to spend the time to get me out of that pool and do what they needed to do to get him out of out of that stuck position and shifted and moved and turned you know I was blessed to have that natural birth as I had hoped for and that doesn't mean it didn't have its challenges but it was such a highlighted example for me that wow this is so easily how it happens that things can go pear-shaped but it's not really about you it's about the the person that's there to care for you and what they are willing to do or not to do and you know, and that comes down to the system and where you are and it's kind of frightening. Yeah, like you would have been labelled failure to progress and probably had a caesarean 
if you didn't have care providers who were skilled in supporting you to get into positions that shifted your baby. So, you know, that is a gift as well because it can be like, um, it can be like midwife roulette. Some midwives know those things and other midwives don't and some midwives are willing to spend and take the time to try those things and support you to do that and other midwives aren't and yeah it like potentially if you'd had midwives who weren't they could have transferred you I guess Mm. and you're at the effect of other people um so yeah it's um there are options and there are choices and I guess my message now is that birthing outside the system is a valid choice and it isn't just like for women who are hippies or, you know, reckless. In fact, the women who are choosing this are very informed and making this choice for very well-intentioned reasons to do with safety so and I'm sure you'd agree Clancy too sometimes our choices are not choices we need to disclose to everybody around us you know I was actually quite private about my choice to birth at home because I I sense it wouldn't be uh an enthusiastic response from those immediately around me and of course they're all you know it's all beautiful and wonderful now but I knew that I needed to only disclose my choices with people that I knew were totally aligned and that would advocate for that and would be enthusiastic about that. And um, I don't know if you on that note have anything that, well, for those people listening, you know, and if they are planning to have a birth, have a baby now, soon, in the future, or support someone through birth, you know, what do you, what would you recommend? Like, what is, what, what would you think is the first thing that they need to be doing to to get to this place where they're really, really empowered and informed, um, particularly Mm. as things go these days. Yeah. I just want to say before I answer that, uh, that yes, you sort of keeping that decision close to your chest to birth at home with midwives because of the potential or perceived negative reaction that you would have from people um like yeah it just the fear-mongering around even choosing to have a home birth with midwives is intense let alone imagine sharing I'm choosing to just birth at home and do it myself because I trust myself and I trust that if I felt something was up or you know I would be the first person to know that something wasn't right and if that was the case I would the help that I, you know, that I would need. Um, but that would just, you know, like imagine the backlash from that. <laughs> when 95% of people have had some kind of intervention or traumatic birth, you know, to some degree, hasn't gone to plan like the 5%, that conditioning in people's stories is always going to subconsciously influence their response and their, the way that they, you know, share their uh, loving guidance and advice from their own personal experience, you know. On that note, uh, little guidance, what what would you say for those listening, how to move forward with this information? Mm, 
I think that, you know, birth is inescapably something that happens in our bodies. And I think because of the way that our culture and our modern society is set up, we are so focused on mental, you know, just uh, we, we pedestal that over body wisdom and instinct it's all about the intellect and there's this real disconnect between we live sort of like above the shoulders between the ears like there's so much focus up here on that it's a very masculine way of being so I think the biggest challenge is trying to reverse that and send and descend your energy back down into your body and to reconnect to that wisdom to to tune in and to listen to your body and to start exploring what the stories are that make up your life and looking at those prior rites of passage around menstruation and what our relationship to our body is. You know, are we disconnected from it? Have we suppressed our cycles with birth control, which is such a common story? Uh, all that is super relevant and I feel like that's like the starting point, just re-establishing that connection to our bodies. And we've really externalised it so much with this um, godlike status that we have elevated obstetricians and, you know, even midwives on that they're all knowing about this area and about our bodies and um, I think things like ultrasound further distance us from tuning into the wisdom of our bodies and and really attuning to the connection we have with our baby because we're relying on this technology to to see our baby and to get this validation and it's such a false sense of security it's like false validation that our baby's okay um so all these things just really reinforce that severance from our body and so for me it's about peeling back that stuff and getting back to our body however that is done for you and it, you know it can be examining stories examining what's happened in our past but also you know just using things like yoga and breath work and being with our self in silence and stillness it's very much an honoring of tradition in a sense that tradition of womanhood and reconnecting with that innate um you know relationship with ourselves and our bodies yeah, and just opening to the fact that we can communicate with our babies, we can attune our consciousness to theirs, that we are, we can all tap into that. Um, it's just that we're so disconnected from it and it's just a, a symptom of the world we live in, I suppose. So for me that's definitely the starting point and one of the most important things and then also starting to look at yeah our entire life history of events and who we are and 
especially our really early years, like up to the age of seven, because those life experiences, our relationships in that time with our within our family unit and our you know primary caregivers when we were in those younger years really shape who we are. We make rules and agreements when we're very young about what we need to do to get love, to get approval, to be secure. And a lot of those times those agreements and rules are totally unconscious. We're still playing them out in our daily behaviours and relationship dynamics and often they're not helpful. So really starting to explore those things is more important, more powerful, more impactful than learning, doing like courses that teach you how to breathe for birth. I mean, we all know how to breathe. And I think for most women, when they are not disturbed in birth, they will. It happens. Yeah. They, they find their way. They don't need to know this breathing technique that's like counting here and there. And I think for, for myself, I did calm birth when I was pregnant and they teach this specific sort of breathing, you know, count to whatever. And I found that so distracting and counterproductive in birth because part of my brain was still thinking, am I doing this right? Am I like... And like, fuck no, you don't want to be thinking that when you're birthing. You don't want to be thinking about, am I breathing right? Am I applying this formula for breath correctly? It's putting it back in your head again. Exactly. Like it's, it's oversimplistic and reducing preparing for birth to like some tick boxes that are superficial. For me, the preparation is all about getting into the psychology of who you are, what's shaped you, what's your relationship to birth, all the family stuff as well. There's so much, but that's all more relevant than the other stuff. Yeah, I'm in full agreement. I didn't do any courses. I did a breastfeeding one because I knew that that postnatal period would be uh you know, quite significant. And actually that brings me to my next question. Would you mind, uh, and I know, I, I hope there's one day where you never have to say this or do this again, but would you mind for the listener just sharing what it is that you do as a doula? Because some people still today are like, what's a doula? So, um, you know, or what you're there to do, how you're there to support, because I know that obviously your work entails not only birth, but also the significant and really important postnatal period that often gets... Um, not thought about until we're in the thick of that intensity. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. I, I walk with women and their partner, if they have a partner, in the prenatal period in a really intentional, focused way that is very honouring of the multi-dimensional aspects of preparation that are needed for this rite of passage. So, yeah, it's about looking at all that psychological stuff. It's about looking at the spirit. It's about balancing that with the intellectual things that you need to know and the physiology of birth. Uh, it's about looking at the relationship dynamics of that couple. It's just covering all the bases and... 
supporting them to be ready to be 100% responsible for their birth experience and to know that or for the woman to know that only she can do this. She's the one who has to cross the threshold. No one can do it for her and that she feels powerful enough to just confront that and walk through that challenge and claim her power in that fire, in that initiation and, yeah, cross the threshold from maiden to mother in a way that is just so embodied and so in her power. And my goal, I guess, is that even if someone has engaged me to support them at their birth, is that they feel so ready and so confident and so capable that they could get to that day and not need to call on me. Um, that they just have complete faith in, yeah, in being able to do it and, and in that knowing, in that deep trust of herself um, that she has everything she needs within her. And I think looking back on my early days as a doula, I definitely was going in with a bit of a hero mentality like you know I was the doula with all the tools and the tricks and um, the system was the villain and you know the woman is potentially at the effect of the system and so the victim and you've got that classic sort of drama triangle and that's where I was on that and I really thought for a long time uh, for the first couple of years that I could create change by going into births and being the hero and the saviour within that system. And I began to realise that that's just not possible. This is an entire system that is never going to change from that, you know, micro dynamic in one birth experience with a doula there as the hero, I'm using air quotes, like just totally, totally fan fantasy thinking. And um, I just, and, and that's part of the reason, I guess, why I made a decision about a year ago that I just, I wasn't able to provide that uh, typical doula support to women in the system anymore because there's only so much I can do within that system and I felt complicit sometimes it, with that system by being there to support a woman through things that are not okay that happened and whether, whether they happened through like coercion or bullying or fear-mongering or whatever, um, I wasn't comfortable anymore being there through that and really not being able to do much about it, really just having to witness that. And for me, I found that um, like it's trauma. It's watching, you know, it's secondary trauma again that 
I just had to draw this boundary around and um, say no more to and really um, trust that I would call in women who could see that the new way is outside the system and that, yeah, that that's, that's where I'm at. Like I'm here for the new way and that can only happen from outside the system. There was a really great TED talk that I heard a while back about dying systems and, you know, a lot of the systems that we have within the industrial modern world and this patriarchal structure we live in are um, they it's like perpetuates that death culture type of reality and um, there's some people who can stay and work within that system and there's other people who have to step aside and be a trailblazer and create a new way outside it and I guess I am really here for that I'm not not here for being yeah complicit with the abuse and the gaslighting the infantilizing and all the crappy things that I've witnessed from within the system as a doula so I don't I don't resonate so much with the word doula anymore because I feel like it is it has sort of become synonymous with supporting births in that setting um and so yeah I feel more I guess aligned and like resonant with calling myself a birth keeper or just birth support Um, so ultimately ultimately you're impacting those birth scenarios through the work that you're doing with women outside of the scenario like planting those seeds and yeah and in saying that I have I do still work from time to time with women who are planning to birth in the system and I offer mentoring and it's just that I I don't attend the birth. But there's still women who choose to do that mentoring with me and do the work with me uh, in that way and that's, you know, that's totally fine. I accept that that's, you know, that is still the predominant choice that women are making to, to still birth within that system and, and that's okay. I honour that that's where people are. Um, but in terms of walking with people and attending births, yeah, I'm supporting women who are, who are choosing that, yeah, family birth, choosing just birth. Mm, I love that. <laughs> It's just so simple. It's just birth without just the bells and whistles. Just ordinary birth that's not medicalized. Yes. Mm, it's perfect. So let's, um, I'd love to um, throw a few little fun specific questions at you. So we'll just shift the focus a little bit to more you as Clancy. Um, what does studentship look like to you in life right now? Not necessarily formally, but what are you studying and digging deeper into? Mm. I guess right now I am taking a bit of a deep dive with self-mastery tools over my own life and being responsible in my own life, seeing life as an ally 
and how every situation is for me and has there's a gift in everything um, really shifting or noticing having awareness around when I am on that drama triangle that I spoke to about in relation to the doula hero dynamic um, because yeah I mean most of us most of the time are somewhere on that triangle so just being really conscious of that in my relationships and noticing that um, right now I'm also I'm always studying and doing some sort of course <laughs> I'm engaged in birth story listening right now which is offering a specific birth story listening process to women who've had a difficult challenging traumatic birth experience and supporting them to find uh, medicine to come to terms or find peace in their relationship with their birth story um so that's yeah that's been really meaningful and i am really excited to be offering that process soon it's worth really highlighting, you know, because this work is, I think when we have this discussion and talk about birth and whatnot, I guess it always sort of seems to land as if we're talking about women who are having birth the first time, but this is equally as relevant to women that have had birth, well, given birth already and they're coming back for it again and maybe they're looking to have a completely different experience. Absolutely, yes. And I think so often women have pushed aside a difficult birth experience and just can't deal with it because of the strong intense emotions that it brings up and then they find themselves pregnant again and that's really when they realize I I need to to deal with this I need to address this I need to acknowledge this I need to find a way to um, come to terms with the experience and see what see what gifts are there for me so that I can yeah or that she can probably not repeat that experience because yeah she's no doubt not wanting to have that that experience again so yeah it's a really ripe area and an area I'm really excited to be diving into and I guess like really personally I'm on a, an opening to conceive journey we're in my own little inner family dynamic here so that's been really interesting to see that unfolding and to see you know more layers of healing and revealing um, being explored and excavated and just new layers of also surrendering my own expectations about the timeline for this conception to take place. So yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot of juice in that for me right now. So that's been interesting. And yeah, it's brought a lot of um ripe conversations into my relationship with my partner too which is nice well, it's only going to be even more um powerful as well for influencing the work that you do you know going through that yourself 
I feel like I'm going through yet another initiation. Like with Louis's birth, it was, you know, the the traumatic birth that was an, an initiation. Then I had a pregnancy loss or early birth at 12 weeks, two years after his birth, which felt like another initiation into that. And now I'm like, oh, okay, <laughs> I'm being initiated into this conception journey because it's it's just, you know, it's not happening the way it happened with my prior to um conceptions it's um yeah it's been challenging and um there's yeah there's definitely peeling off of the layers so yeah it feels powerful and yeah like it will inform my work in some way as it all seems to (laughs) and so what would you say would be um and maybe in light of all you've just shared, what would be your daily non-negotiable? Mm, right now, it's a really short three-minute kundalini kriya. Like a yeah, that's that's just my non-negotiable daily at the moment. And if I can get at least ten minutes on my yoga mat, that's like a big boon as well. If it's longer, that's awesome, and that sometimes happens. You know, twenty minutes, half an hour, even maybe even a full class. That's like feels luxurious. But um, ten minutes, yeah, that just feels really nourishing right now. Every day with that that three minutes of breathing and sitting intentionally. Um, and getting to bed at a reasonable hour. (laughs) I'm not great at that, but, gosh, it makes such a huge difference getting a good night's sleep. Mm -hmm. It really sets the tone. Yeah, it's the simple things in life that make all the difference. Yeah, sleep hygiene. Yeah. Such such a big thing to prioritise and one that it's easy to let that slip away, but it, when I do prioritise it, it, yeah, everything runs smoother in life. I know it's been a wild year um, and you've taken some stuff online, but for those listening, what have you got coming up? How can they work with you? Yeah, what's happening? Mm. Right now I'm doing some conscious conception online circles. Uh, so that's available I am offering mentoring in person if you're in the Newcastle area or online. And my preference for that is like a a bulk of sessions, you know, working with people over a period of time I feel is far more meaningful than one-off sessions. And I tend to attract women who are willing to invest and do that for themselves and they really get that that's where the value is in committing to a journey and to to going deep with that so I yeah I'm really lit up by doing that work with women prenatally whether or not they're choosing to have the support at their birth or otherwise right now most of the women I'm working with are just doing that prenatal mentoring so that's nice and I do offer postpartum support as well. Um, I have two packages, the 
sacred window and the golden month. So really just honouring those postpartum traditions that focus on rest and nutrition and, yeah, wise woman support, loving touch, the five universal postpartum needs of every woman basically. Um, yeah, I've got my yoga course online, so that's always there. And in the pipeline, so it'll be sometime 2021, I'll be offering some village prenatal style um, education slash circle spiritual sacred connection to the work of preparing for birth. So, yeah, it'll be a group of women. It'll be mostly online. If a lot of the women do happen to be local, I would also love to do some in-person stuff attached to that. It's likely to be run over probably like an eight-week um, period and rather than just doing that one-on-one -on -one work, it's, it's going to be facilitating that group prenatal preparation and I think we can gain so much from sitting in circle with other women and seeing ourselves reflected in one another's experiences and being mirrors for one another. There's real potency in that and I think that's really missing for many pregnant women we're so segregated, you know, in our nuclear families, in our separate homes and that community connection, that village sort of vibe is what's missing. So really wanting to inject some of that into my mentoring and do this group sort of setting as well next year. So, yeah, keep an eye out for that because that's the new thing on the horizon, which is exciting. The yoga that you put online this year, that's prenatal specifically, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And at the end of the day, when I look back and reflect on my experience, I, I knew intuitively, like I knew that um, obviously preparing for birth was really important, but I kind of was a, a little ignorant about how much I really needed support post postpartum and because I, I did want to follow those traditions which I know that you really love to emphasize in in terms of how you support women you know staying at home and the deep rest and you know really anchoring with um, very traditional ways but I I personally didn't have a doula and I look back and think oh man I sh totally should have had you by my side like you know I really don't think people realize the immense immense value of your work until they're in the thick of it and they're like oh you know because things went pretty smoothly for us, you know, comparatively speaking, but still, still, mm -hmm. like it would have been absolutely invaluable to have that person. I think it's, yeah, such a common story for first-time mothers sort of, I guess, overlooking the importance or not fully understanding, you know, even though you said you were aware of those traditions and that was your plan, we just, we don't really fathom the enormity of the shift that's just happened within ourselves and the impact that, you know, this little presence moving from womb to world is going to have on our lives and our energy. And so it's easy for first-time mothers to 
not place as much emphasis on that as, you know, in hindsight they would have hoped to in, in terms of calling in the support and things. And, and, yeah, it's a lot of the time it is second-time mothers who, who realise, oh my gosh, I need to have some more structure of support in place for myself um, next time around, especially because they've already got the other child as well who's usually pretty young. So, yeah, but I think there is a little bit of a shift happening too with first-time mothers becoming more cognizant of the importance of really setting up this time in a very intentional way and crafting, you know, curating that support well ahead of time because it's it's kind of too late once you're in it, right? It's really hard to, like, catch up and try and get the support online once you're yeah. in the throes of breastfeeding and mothering and learning your baby and, yeah, integrating the enormity of birth and this identity shift from maiden to mother. There's so much happening. So to be able to curate that from the start, yeah, that's just incredible when women get that and yeah. know that that is is really important, you know, like first, first 40 days for the next 40 years. My gosh, that's yeah. powerful. This, yeah. you know, yeah. And that's a whole conversation all on its own really, you know. I know, yes. But, yeah, you know, and I think it's one when you're in that postnatal, think of the postnatal period, it's one day, one breath at a time. And I, I can't even, like, again, looking back, fathom that I would have had the strength to make a decision and call in a support or a doula at that time be like well who and where and how much and what are they doing like there's just no way you know it's yeah no way no way so no. Mm-hmm. preparation is everything you know and going beyond the stereotypical preparations for birth for sure for sure yeah absolutely so can you tell us the best place to send the listener so your website and social media wherever you'd like to direct them yeah, so my website is womancraftway.com and I'm on Instagram, same handle, womancraftway. And I think you can also search my name, Clancy Allen, on Instagram and should also come up. And, yeah, they're probably the two places that I am sharing. You can jump onto my newsletter list and, yeah from me that way yeah your instagram account is awesome there's always so much everything there. there yeah yeah and it's i love how just no fluff just straight to the point you are with everything that you share and it's good because it's that wake-up call i think that we all need and it's a really important thing to realize how disempowered we have all been as you know as women for so long and it's like our real duty and responsibility to to rise up above that conditioning and it's it's just like it's not about us it's not selfish it's for future generations too and as mothers it's for our kids whether we have boys or girls like it's just Mm -hmm. profound impact for the for children to see you know how women I guess are conditioned or programmed or not around the process of birthing and you know yeah yeah, Michelle Odont, the French obstetrician, has said that we will forget how to birth. And I think that's probably already happening uh, because of all the intervention and interference and use of synthetic hormones, our bodies will forget what to do. So, yeah, it's like this is a revolution to reclaim that and to 
remember that birth belongs to women. Like we own birth. So it's a call to come back to that and reclaim that. Yeah. Yeah, a thousand percent. Well, thank you so much for being part of the dialogue and for being brave and courageous enough to just to share this work because it's so, so imperative. It's so important. So I'm really grateful for your time and it's always the best to chat with you and um, hopefully in person sometime soon. But, um, yeah, thank you for your wisdom and and your work in the world. I really appreciate Mm. it. Likewise. Thanks for having me. If this episode was of value to you and your life, please subscribe. And if you can think of someone who would benefit from this dialogue, please do them a favor and send it their way. If you feel called, hop on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. This is the best way to get these conversations into the ears and hearts of our wider community, to those who need it most. You can find me at amyelandry.com or over on Instagram at amyelandry. May we all move a little closer to a life living in alignment.